But let me read now for you, Matthew 8, 1 through 17. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, this is after the Sermon on the Mount, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer, offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. <clears throat> when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a, century, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is God's word. So as many of you guys know, I'm a musician. So throughout my growing up years, I took a lot of lessons. I took piano lessons, flute lessons, voice lessons. The instrument I worked most consistently on was voice. I took voice lessons from the time I was in fifth grade all the way up through college and then on and off for probably the next 10 years after I graduated from college. I spent a lot of time working on my singing. I wanted to sing well and so I spent a lot of time learning how to do it. As a singer, I knew there were people out there who knew more than I did and I wanted to learn from them. My voice teacher in college was an accomplished vocal performer and professor. He had awards and publications and so much more experience than I did. So twice a week at my voice lessons, I listened to everything Dr. Barrington Coleman said to do. If he suggested I hold my chin a different way, I did it. If he corrected my pronunciation of the Italian words I was singing, I listened. I listened because he was the authority, right? Not only did he sing really well, as I said, he had credits. He'd published, he recorded, he performed all over the world. He was a sought after clinician. There was evidence that he knew what he was doing. And so I listened to what he said. I followed his instructions. I asked him for help because he was the authority. This makes sense, right? When we wanna learn a skill or improve our technique at something, we go to someone who knows more than we do. We find the authority on that subject matter and we learn everything we can from them. This morning, we're moving into a new section of our study of the book of Matthew, right? We've been spending this whole school year working our way through the book of Matthew, and we've said that Matthew has two main goals in his writing, 
First, he wants to convince his readers that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah King that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And the second thing he wants to do is to give us an example of how to follow Jesus as his disciples. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be working through this middle section of the book of Matthew. And we're going to see Matthew's argument that Jesus has authority, that Jesus is powerful. Matthew's narratives in the next eight chapters are told specifically to emphasize the power of Jesus and to cause us as readers to say, wow, Jesus really must be the savior of the world. Matthew wants us to be like college Katie with my voice teacher. Jesus is the authority on life with God. So I'm going to do what he says. In the Sermon on the Mount in chapters five through seven, Matthew was highlighting Jesus' authority as a teacher. And now in chapters eight and nine, Matthew continues this argument that Jesus really is the Messiah, the son of God, by demonstrating Jesus' power. So today we're going to we're going to kind of take a survey or an overview of chapters eight and nine. So like I said, uh, keep your Bibles open because we're going to jump around in chapters eight and nine a little bit. We won't obviously have time to read all of those chapters during the sermon today. So I would encourage you later today, go back and reread all of chapters eight and nine. Um, and this is how it's going to kind of be the next few weeks. We're going to be covering some large chunks of Matthew. Um, so keep your Bibles handy. If you don't have a Bible, um, next week when we're back at Harbor, we have a bunch of extra Bibles that we would love to be our gift to you. So get a Bible and grab it so that you can follow along with us. So today we're in Matthew 8 and 9. Uh, we're going to talk about Matthew's big idea in these two chapters. Matthew's big idea is that Jesus is the all-powerful king. He's the all-powerful king. So we can ask him for help as we follow him. Jesus is the all-powerful king. So we can ask him for help as we follow him. Matthew wants us to know in these two chapters that Jesus is the all-powerful Messiah King. He really is the son of God. And since this is true, since Jesus has this kind of authority, since he clearly demonstrates life in God's kingdom like no one else can, we should follow him. And as we follow him, we can ask this all-powerful savior for help. So first, Matthew wants us to believe that Jesus is the all-powerful king, the son of God. That's how he's arranged chapters eight and nine, to tell story after story of Jesus' miraculous power. In these two chapters, we see 10 different miracles of Jesus. And these stories serve to show us that there is nothing Jesus can't do. Jesus has power and authority over leprosy, over paralysis, over fever, over a storm, over demons, over livestock, over sin, over long illnesses, and even over death. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 that we just read a few moments ago, Jesus healed a leper. Now, in Jesus' day, lepers were cut off from larger society. Lepers lived in separate houses outside the city. When they came into the city, they had to call out, unclean, unclean everywhere they went so that no one would accidentally come in contact with them and become defiled themselves. Lepers couldn't attend worship. And to cap it all off, people often assumed that leprosy was a punishment for some kind of sin. Lepers were outsiders. They were disdained. They were avoided. But what does Jesus do? In verse three, we read, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. 
This is remarkable. Okay, listen, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, the people were given laws. The laws told them what was considered clean and unclean and prescribed a whole bunch of different ways to be cleansed when you touched something unclean. Because if you touched something unclean, you became unclean. Touching something unclean spreads uncleanness. But here, something amazing happens. Jesus, the clean and holy one, touches somebody ritually unclean. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, he shares his cleanness with the leper. This is remarkable. This doesn't happen anywhere else. Matthew's making a point. Only God could make someone clean and not become unclean in the process. Only God could touch some something or someone unclean and make it clean. And then Jesus tells the man to go show himself to the priests. So the priests would be able to look at the man and legally declare him clean. Jesus' healing was real. It was effective. It was thorough. It would grant this man an entrance back into society, into his family. What a powerful healer Jesus is. From here, we move on to the story of the Roman centurion. <clears throat> This outsider, this Gentile, and not just any Gentile, the face of Roman oppression. <laughs> he came humbly to Jesus asking for his help. And when Jesus says, do you want me to come to your house and heal your servant? He says, no, 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 you don't need to do that. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Listen, this centurion, the outsider, <laughs> is making a clear declaration that Jesus has authority over sickness, that he is a healer with power. He's saying, look, I know how this works. I'm a boss. A hundred soldiers report to me. When I give an order to one of my soldiers, I know they're going to follow it because they know that when I speak, I'm speaking not just for myself, but ultimately for the Roman emperor. That's how the military works. So when I give an order... I don't have to follow my soldier to make sure he does what I say. I know he's going to do what I've said because he knows the order comes indirectly all the way from Caesar. So you don't need to come all the way to my house. You clearly have power over disease and illness. When you speak, the illness will be healed. You don't need to follow up and make sure you have authority. Sickness has to listen to you and flee my servant's body. And Jesus is amazed at this man's faith. The outsider the Gentile, the Roman soldier. He gets who Jesus is and he just states it matter-of-factly. Jesus heals the man's servant at that moment. He says, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. Matthew's telling us Jesus has power and authority over sickness and over the people of the entire world, over the Roman empire. Caesar couldn't heal people. <laughs> Matthew's saying Jesus is not just the savior for the Jews. He's the savior of all mankind. What a powerful king. From here, chapter eight goes on to tell the story of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. In verse 15, we read that Jesus touched her hand and she was healed so quickly that she got up and went right back to doing her household chores, right, up, right back to taking care of her guests. <laughs> Effective healing in a moment. That's a powerful king. Then in verse 23, Jesus and his disciples go on a boat and he's sleeping and a storm comes up. The storm is so powerful that it has these experienced fishermen shaking and afraid. And to this terrible storm, Jesus simply says, shh, I'm sleeping. 
and it immediately stops. What a powerful king. Then in verse 28, they get off the boat, they arrive across, and there's a man who's been tormented by legions of demons. The demons have to ask Jesus permission for where they go. He gives, their, he gives them permission to go into this, uh, this herd of pigs because to Jesus, ruined property is well worth the life of this man. So he sends them into the pigs and they run into the water and drown. This whole thing freaks out the, everybody in the town. They don't know what to do with this. So they ask Jesus to just get out of here. Then we get to chapter nine. In chapter nine, verse one, Jesus forgives a paralyzed man. He forgives his sins. And then as people are asking, who's this? Who does he think he is? He can forgive sins. He decides he's going to heal the man too, to prove his power. Verse eight says, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. The crowd recognizes he has authority from God. Then in verse 918, we read Jesus being asked to raise a dead girl to life. And on the way, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years just touches the hem of Jesus' cloak and she's healed. What power? Just touching his clothes in faith brought her healing. And when he arrived at the dead girl's house, he went in, he took her by the hand, and she got up. This little girl had been dead. And all Jesus had to do was hold her hand and she came back to life. And then in the rest of chapter nine, we read that Jesus heals two more blind men and then casts out another demon. Listen, all of these narratives are put together in these two chapters on purpose. We are supposed to read these and respond like the people in these narratives. Throughout these chapters, we read that people were amazed that they see that he's got authority from God. In Matthew 9.33, we read that the people said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. We've never seen anything like this before. Listen, it's possible that because we've heard these stories so many times, we've sort of become numb to these miracles. But let's just sit in these for a moment. Let's think about this for a minute. If you have ever lost a child or you know someone who has, what overwhelming joy and gratitude you would have if they were restored to your arms. If you've ever felt like an outsider cut off from family, friends, what joy to be restored to them like the leper. If you've ever been caught up in Satan's schemes to ensnare you in sin, what joy at being set free. Jesus changed people's lives. He changed whole communities. He invited outsiders in. He restored dignity to people on the margins. Jesus' power is incredible. So Matthew wants his readers to be clear because of what Jesus did, because of this demonstration of his power and his authority, the only reasonable response is to follow him. Jesus's power and authority, he is clearly the Messiah King. Therefore, we should follow him. Like my voice teacher who knew more than I did about singing, Jesus is the authority on life with God. He is the very son of God. And so if we want God's kingdom and all it promises, we need to follow Jesus. 
Matthew's making this point because he's very carefully in chapters eight and nine woven in stories about discipleship in between these healing narratives. If, you're, if your Bible's open, you'll notice we skipped some parts of chapter eight and nine. First, Matthew tells us that following Jesus might be costly. In Matthew 8 and verses 18 to 22, we read about these two unnamed people who say they want to follow Jesus. Jesus tells the first man, listen, if you want to follow me, you should get used to being uncomfortable. Jesus replied to him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. To the other man, Jesus said that he needed to be willing to go wherever God calls him, even if that means forsaking some normal responsibility to his family, burying his father. Now, Jesus is speaking with hyperbole here. Of course, to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you must not ever have a house or that you have to skip all of your relatives' funerals. His point is that the way of Jesus is not easy. And you need to know that going in. Sometimes it will be inconvenient to follow Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus will require you to die to yourself and your desires. The second thing Matthew tells us in these chapters about discipleship, though, is that it's worth it. It's worth it. In Matthew 9, 9, we read the account of Matthew's own calling to be a disciple of Jesus. We read that Matthew was at work as a tax collector when Jesus told him to come follow him. And Matthew's response Matthew's response in these verses is the example he wants his readers to follow. Matthew immediately got up from his table and left everything to follow Jesus. See, as a tax collector, Matthew was an outsider. He was seen as working for Rome by collecting taxes from the Jews for Rome. And many tax collectors were dishonest and took more than they should have. They made a good living, but it cost them their community. So when Matthew saw Jesus healing people who were outsiders, restoring the disenfranchised to community, it was attractive to him. He saw what Jesus could do and he wanted it, whatever it cost. Matthew was tired of chasing money, tired of working for Rome, tired of being an outcast from his people. He was tired of it all. And Jesus offered a better way. So Matthew didn't look back. When Jesus called, he answered. And that's the invitation for us. What are we chasing and running after that is really just wearing us out? Is it money? Is it our kids' success? Is it our own status or image? Matthew says that Jesus is a powerful king and he has everything we need to be satisfied. Nothing, no one else can fill that hole in our heart. Only Jesus can. So choose Jesus. And when we choose Jesus, Matthew shows us that Jesus will transform us. See, all these stories in Matthew 8 and 9 show us what happens when we choose to follow Jesus, to believe that he is in fact God's son, come to earth in love for the world. We've said in our study of Matthew that a disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, is being transformed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And for Matthew, choosing to follow Jesus is the only thing that makes sense to do when we see who Jesus is. And from there, we see that when we follow Jesus, we can ask him for help and healing, and he will transform us. 
These stories are included in Matthew's gospel to give hope to the people he's writing to. The Jesus we read about in these pages is the same Jesus today. There is still nothing he can't do. He is still the authority over sickness, over disease, over sin, over Satan, over the whole world. So Matthew invites us to ask this powerful Savior for help. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is being transformed by him. This is the lifelong journey of followers of Jesus. Every day we ask Jesus to show us what is in our hearts that doesn't lead to life and ask him to remove it from us. Every day we're asking Jesus to do surgery on our hearts, to remove the pride, the selfishness, the anger, the lust, the greed. Every day asking this powerful healer to come and heal us. And this powerful savior still heals. Some of you have seen this. Over the last couple of years, I can think of several examples where someone seemed beyond hope, beyond what medical professionals could do, and then God stepped in. Jesus still has authority over heart attacks, over strokes, over depression, over broken bones, over COVID. Jesus is still healing. And he invites us to come to him like those in his narratives, humbly seeking the help of the only one who can heal. The people in these stories had to admit their poverty in order to ask Jesus for help. If that Roman centurion had thought himself above asking a Jewish healer for help, his servant would have died. If the woman with the bleeding had been too proud to admit she needed help, she would have gone on bleeding. If the little girl's father hadn't come kneeling before Jesus to beg for his help, that little girl would have stayed dead. It took humility to ask Jesus for his healing and his help. And it still takes humility to ask Jesus for his healing and help. To follow Jesus means to admit that we cannot make ourselves better. We cannot heal what is broken inside us. We cannot heal cancer. We cannot cure addiction. Only Jesus can. Oh, Jesus works through doctors and counselors, of course. And these medical professionals are surely a gift of God to us. Every honest doctor will tell you that there are things they just cannot make happen. They can do their best with their training and the options on hand. But at the end of the day, they, like all of us, are dependent on the healing that only God can provide. And healing doesn't always come like we wish it would, does it? But the purpose of going to Jesus to ask for help is that it draws us closer to him. It helps us know him. And he transforms us as we grow closer to the healer. We may never understand why God brings healing to some and not to others. The sight of heaven, it may not ever make sense. But even when we're hurting, even when God doesn't answer like we wanted him to, he wants us to be close to him, to know that he loves us, to experience his presence with us, to know that he has felt lost too. He has suffered too. He has been rejected too. And he is grieving with us when we grieve. The elders and I are working through a book together right now. 
that's called Pursuing God's Will Together. It's a book that's helping us learn how to listen to God together so that we can lead harbor toward what God wants for us in the church community. So this past Wednesday night at our elders meeting, we spent time talking about how dependent we are on God. Part of any discernment or decision-making process is to pray for wisdom. And when we pray for wisdom, we're acknowledging our own lack of wisdom. We're acknowledging that there are things God knows that we don't know. Things God can do that we cannot. And on our elder team, as we prayed and we talked about this, we experienced a sense of peace together, knowing that dependency on God is a really good place to be. It's a peaceful place to be. And I think that's what Matthew's getting at in these chapters. Jesus is so powerful. He is so capable. Jesus is more powerful than sickness. He is more powerful than death. He is more powerful than Satan. He is more powerful than nature. Jesus is so powerful and we are not. And when we acknowledge that he is other, he is above us, he is the savior and we are not, it puts us in a humble place where we can say that we'll follow him. We know that he's the one who knows what we don't. He's the one who can do what we can't. And so, of course, we'll follow him. What else would we do? Of course, we ask him for healing. He can heal. Of course, we ask him for wisdom. He's wise. Of course, we ask him for help. He is the savior. So have you spent time seeking Jesus? Have you seen how powerful he is? Have you seen how great his love is? If not, maybe that's your first step today is to ask Jesus to help you see him, to help you know who he really is. Maybe you've known about Jesus for a long time, but you've never really had a relationship with him. Jesus wants to be closer than a friend to us. So maybe today you just need to ask him to help you really know him. Maybe you've never acknowledged that he is the savior, that the things you've chased after don't satisfy And that you want him. You want his way of life, his healing, his help to transform you. Tell him that. Make today the first day of your new life in his kingdom. Or maybe this morning you need healing. Pray to him and humbly ask for healing. Maybe someone you know needs healing. Pray to him like we all just did earlier and humbly ask God for healing. Jesus loves us. He loves us. He never gets tired of hearing from us. He never tires of us asking for more of him. He never tires of showing us his love and power. All we have to do is ask. So in these next quiet moments, spend some time asking Jesus what he wants you to hear today and how he wants you to respond. And when you're ready, you can take communion using whatever you have on hand. I have some cranberry juice and a cracker that I'm going to use this morning. <laughs> this, the bread and the juice remind us they are a guarantee of Jesus' great love for us. They point backward to his incredible power to conquer sin and death on the cross and at his resurrection. And they point forward to the day when we will all gather around his throne in our resurrected bodies in the place with no more pain. Let me pray. And then you can take communion when you're ready. Jesus, thank you that you are powerful. 
We have seen your power at work. We have witnessed the way you heal, the way you forgive, the way you redeem, the way you make new, the way you comfort, the way you guide. We have seen it. And we confess that we know you are the Savior and we are not. We need you. We need more of you. So will you draw each of us close to you? Will you speak your words of life to each of us just as we need this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.